So here at Legacy, we've been going through the book of John, the Hero Series. It's been exciting, and I'm, I'm extremely excited and privileged to, to share with you today, to preach, to open up God's Word with you. Uh, thank you, Luke and the elders, for allowing me to, to take part in, in this type of service. Uh, I am I'm very excited about today and today's message. If I'm right about this, I would say that most of us are fascinated with success stories. I think equally, a lot of college students and people a little bit older are maybe equally excited about watching fell stories. There's a whole there's a whole blog dedicated to this, a whole website, a whole YouTube series. I think it's called fellarmy.com, and we could watch it for hours. It's kind of sad, but I find myself often going to Fell Army and watching someone fall into the bushes. And for some reason, those things, it's like, man, part of the reason that's exciting is because I didn't fall into a bush today. <laughs> so I have a small victory for myself. I didn't fall down today. But most of us are really more excited about great success stories, stories of victory. My Atlanta Braves, back in 1990, they were not successful. They were the worst team in the league. But have no fear, 1991 is coming. 1991, the Atlanta Braves, they were the National League champions. They went from worst to first. There were cranes all over my city when I lived. I lived in Smyrna, Marietta, Georgia. There were cranes that turned into tomahawks. They would put, they would get paper mache. You would have these big construction workers that haven't done paper mache since fifth grade. They were up on their cranes making a big rock tomahawk. We were excited. 1991 was an exciting year. It is also equally exciting for the Minnesota Twins. Because in 1990, the Minnesota Twins were the worst team in the American League. 1990, Minnesota Twins, worst team also. 1991 comes around for that city. They are the best team in the American League. Unfortunately, during the World Series, Minnesota Twins won the World Series. But we love these stories of victory. The Braves come back later and do some amazing things. But we love success stories. Cities rally around success stories, stories of victory. Cities change because of success stories. Just look at Chicago. Look at so many different places when it comes to just sports alone. We hang on victory stories. We hang right here in our hometown. We hang on a certain year. What is that year we hang on? Wait, what? <laughs> 1998. Football. Champions. The Vols. We hang on it. Some of the coolest fraternity t-shirts on the campus right now make mention of 1998. It's, this is almost 20 years later. Cities hang on stories of victory. We want, we want to see it happen over and over and over again. We hang on it. There's other types of victory stories. My dad, who's with us today, uh, Jerry Lewis, over here in the white shirt, don't mean to embarrass, there he is. He's like, I'm not embarrassed, here I am. It's my dad, Jerry Lewis, and as a kid, older people would say, you mean the Jerry Lewis? I'm like, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, he is. The Jerry Lewis, he's, he's, he's my Jerry Lewis. Uh, so my dad, just a couple of months ago, had a heart attack. It freaked our family out. This is dad, my dad, strong dad. Weak, had a heart attack. What are we to do? What's going on? We didn't, we didn't know what to do except trust the doctors, trust the medical science. And I have a victory story to share with you because my dad's sitting right here. But you know what they did? The doctors, what they did, they took this small, teeny tiny little tunnel tube 
and they stuck it in his wrist. And they put it all the way up through his wrist and right into his heart. No, right into his heart. Right here, right into his heart. And that blows my mind. It's a stint. It opened up some valves. It opened up some stuff. Let the blood flow. This is amazing. That is a family victory. My mom and myself, my sister, brother-in-law, the family, when we heard the news that it's going to be fine, we're going to, this is what we're going to do, the procedure went well. That is a story of victory. We were hanging on this story of victory before the victory happened. We wanted to see victory, but we didn't know. We didn't know what's going to happen. Then in a little garage years and years and years ago, we have technology victories. Two guys in a little garage decide, we're going we're to do something with computers. We're going to make something. So it's the story of Apple. Two guys in a little garage has turned into over 13,000 employees on this new Apple campus that they're going to build. Gone from a little garage to a 2,800,000 square foot facility. This is nuts. This is crazy. It's a story of victory in the technological world. Then I just heard a story from my sister-in-law down in McDonough, Georgia, just south of Atlanta. She, she volunteers at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. A couple came into the Crisis Pregnancy Center. They were, they were sold already in their minds that we are going to terminate this pregnancy. But we want to come in. We hear that, we hear that they do free sonograms at this place. We're going to come in. We're going to, we're going to listen to them. We're going to, we're going to think a little bit. But they were sold that, that they're going to terminate this pregnancy. But after right here, this, this, this little house, it's a little house. In this little house, this amazing machine, amazing women that love Jesus put this, put this little machine, the sonogram, and they, this family, this, this husband and wife, this couple, I, I, actually I'm not sure if they're even married, they see this little baby, and they just start smiling. They get excited. And they say, we are keeping, we are keeping this child. That is a victory. That is a victory story that that family is going to hold on to and hang on to. Still Team Six, finding Bin Laden. It's a victory story. But where does this drive to succeed? Where does this drive to, to see success, to see victory, to see good things happen, to, to develop things, to see cities be built? Where does this drive even come from? Many would say it just comes from a basic animal instinct, just our fight to survive, to be the fittest of all the species. But I would argue that this comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. You look at this up on the screen. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So God makes the world. First off, God didn't have to make a world. God, the Trinity, has eternally been happy. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit for eternity have been satisfied, have been happy, have been dancing and loving for all eternity. But God decides to create. God decides to let that love, that joy overflow into his creation. So he creates. He, then he creates Adam and Eve. And he gives them this huge mandate to go and multiply, multiply fill the earth, have dominion over the earth. Basically, go and do great things. Go and build cities. Name the animals. Have fun. Do some amazing things. I'm going to empower you to do this. We're going to walk and talk together. Let's dream big. Do things. See that I am your God. Worship me. This is going to be great. 
We've had this desire ever since the beginning to see great things happen, to see victory happen, to see amazing things happen. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve decided, I want to write my own success story. I want to achieve some kind of victory in my own way. So Adam and Eve decided to rebel against the Father, to not trust him, to not trust that he is good, to not trust that his ways are good, and to actually to believe that God the Father is actually trying to withhold good from them. So they were deceived. And they gave in to temptation. And they sinned against God and created the problem that we have. So we have an even bigger problem right now than, than, than the problem we have right now trying to figure out how to get a man on Mars. That's a big problem. I think it'd be cool to see it happen. So there's a lot of things that have to happen. You know to get a man onto the moon, you know about how many people it took to get a man on the moon? Does somebody know? Besides what, what Google told me? Four people. No, 400,000 people were on the mission to the moon team. When you think about all the science, all the technology, all the people that went into all the things that happened to put a man on the moon, it was 400,000 people helped to solve the problem of the race to space and to get on the moon. It took, a, it took a whole lot of people to see a victory happen. So we have an even bigger problem than the mission to the moon if we're trying to get to, the, get to Mars. We have a bigger problem than, than the iPhone 8 and what it's going to do for us. We've got a bigger problem than that. You see, the problem that we have is the problem of sin. And at this point, some of you visiting or some of you that have been here many times, this is where it's like, yes, this is the story we hear all the time. And as you're going to see, it is like, yes, because today in this passage, we are at, we are at the crux of the story. But the problem of sin and its consequences, this is our problem. But what we do, what we do and what we've been trained to do is when we see a problem, we try to fix it. We try to fix it. Let's get our best people on this. Get people to Mars, let's get our best people on this. iPhone 8, let's get our best people on this. Need some artwork done down, downtown to put it right in the heart of, heart of the square. Let's get our best people on this. Let's, let's solve some problems. Got a, got a troubled nation? Let's get the best president in here. But see, sin is our problem, but we have a bigger problem than the problem. Our problem's not just the problem. Our problem is that no amount of ingenuity, no amount of work, no amount of creativity on our part will ever solve the problem of sin. So we can see clearly that we have a problem. One of the things when my family lived in Thailand and we would share the good news of Jesus with the Thai people, they rarely had a problem saying, I know that I need someone to help me. They, had, they, they knew that they had a problem of sin. They, they didn't try to skirt that. They knew that something was wrong. But they just thought that they could be the ones to fix it or just some, some group could, could fix that problem. But this today, what we're going to talk about, this is a success story, a victory mission. This victory mission is completely out of our hands. And we don't like that. We don't like that. Or we love it. In our sin, we are doomed. We are finished. But just imagine if right now, if I said, okay, that's all I got. I close up and I say, worship team, let's come up here. And let's sing. You're gonna be. You'll be like, wait a minute. You. This can't be all. This can't be it. That we got a problem and no one can fix that. You're absolutely right. That would be crazy. However, there is hope, and this hope is found in the greatest success story of all time. And that's what we're going to dive into today. So let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would. Help us to see Jesus high and lifted up. 
we would see that through Christ you coming, your life, your death, and your resurrection, that you have proclaimed victory over sin, over its consequences, over the dominion of sin, and over the penalty of sin. God, change us. Help us to see that you are worthy for us to worship. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for your work. And thank you for your spirit. I pray you would lead us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 19, 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine onto a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Today I'm going to focus mainly on these three words. It is finished. You see, the whole Bible from Genesis up into these three words, it is finished. And from these three words, it is finished to the end of Revelation. The whole front of the Bible and the whole back of the Bible, it's all pointing to these three words. It's pointing to this statement. We can broaden it a little bit. It's pointing to this chapter in the, in the, the next couple of chapters. But if this did not happen, if the it is finished did not happen, we would be finished. We would still be doomed. We would still have no hope. There would be no victory. But Jesus says, it is finished. Often people think, and it's, it's a logical conclusion, but what people think often is that it is finished just means it's basically Jesus just saying, okay, I'm done. My work is, is, is over and I'm actually dying. Like my life is over, kind of the story's over now, I'm dead. Yeah, I'm going to rise up from the dead, but some people think it's just him saying, okay, I'm, I'm just kind of dying now. But that's not what he was saying. That's not what he was saying. The Greek word that he was saying was tetelestai. So in English, it's three words. It is finished. But in Greek, it's just tetelestai. And what this word means, it's an accounting term that means paid in full. This was a victory announcement. So the picture changes. It's not just Jesus kind of sad and having been crushed, which we're going to talk about that, and totally weak that he was. It was him crying out a victory statement. Paid in full. It is done. To tell us die. This is what would be stamped upon loan documents after they're paid in full. Boom, your debt is paid. To tell us die. Yesterday I heard on the radio uh, as I was driving into the town, I heard on the radio from, the, from Clark Howard, he was talking about how there's over 42 million students right now that have an unbearable student loan right now in America. I was actually surprised that it was that low. Maybe it's the unbearable that he's mentioning. But could you imagine 42 million people getting a document in the mail and it's saying, Tetelestai on it, paid in full. Yeah? We, we, we hear some yes down here. We hear, we hear from some of, the, some of the older crowd back there. We're like, our kids are about to go into, into, into college or I've got some kids already out of college. Where's my Tetelestai? Could you imagine that? One, they would mean, what does this mean? <laughs> and they'd have to look it up. Paid in full. Wow. How did this happen? Paid in full. Tetelestai. But I think we could all agree that there's an even bigger Tetelestai in history. This is what was pronounced over the slave when the slave was being freed. When the, when the service had been finished. Or when a debt had been paid. It was to tell us that you were free. Go in your freedom. Paid in full. 
Jesus has successfully paid our debt and set us free. Let's look at this from Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood flow from thy wounded side which flowed. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. So just think about this for a second. This song, Rock of Ages, is talking about Jesus. Cleft for me. Here is the rock of eternity. Jesus has been forever. He is the solid rock. He is immovable. He is amazing. He is often, but he's been cleft for me. He has been broken for me, split for me. Let me hide myself in you. It's not this rock of ages that comes and just crushes us. He could do that. That's what sin demands, is for us to be crushed by the wrath of God. But the rock of ages does not come to crush us. The rock of ages came and was crushed in our place. The rock of ages was split for us. Let me hide myself in you. Let the water in the blood cleanse me, free me, and be of sin the double cure. Save me from wrath. Save me. From, I know that, the, the, that sin, because of sin, I know that I should be crushed. I know that I should drink the wrath of God. Save me from the wrath of God. But at the same time, as you save me from the wrath of God, save me from the dominion of sin. Within me, I can't, I can't do right. I can't do right. I can't see victory. I can't, I can't help others. Make me pure. So this double cure, being set free from the penalty of sin, the wrath of God, and being set free from the power of sin is amazing. So in this Jesus series, Jesus being our hero, right here we see on the cross that Jesus, if you would, if you think of the cross as what it is, there's a vertical and there's a horizontal. If you would, if you would, and I, I'm okay with somebody coming up to me and telling me a, a better way to picture this. I, I love better ways. But if you would look at the vertical as a sense of Jesus being the Lamb of God, and he receives the wrath of God. He is, the, he is our substitute. He receives the wrath of God. He dies in our place. Jesus, Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. He receives the wrath of God in our place. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So the vertical, if you would, he is the Lamb of God that has received the wrath of God in our place as our substitute. This is amazing. But he is also, if you would, he is the lion. He is the lion. As the lion, Jesus breaks the power of sin and death. Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 14 says this. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Being under law means, it doesn't mean that God's laws are not good. It means that God's laws are good, and we have broken them. And because we've broken his good laws, we deserve the wrath of God. But not being under the law in this text, in this context, means that we are no longer under the penalty and consequences of breaking the law. And in a fuller context, we are no longer obligated to follow the law in order to be made pure, in order to have victory. Because we can't follow the law in order to be made pure. We can't follow the law to claim victory for ourselves or for mankind. Jesus has done that but we're not under the law, but under grace. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we talk about this often. It's, it's one of my favorite books. 
It's talking about Aslan being the lion, the great lion. The great lion, ooh, says Susan. Susan is just excited, like, wait a minute. Excited and scared. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So as the lamb, Jesus receives the wrath of God. But as our victorious lion, he takes sin, death, and Satan and rips its head off. So I would say, I would say the horizontal, if you would, it's, in my mind, of course, it's all the cross, but it's, it's the victory. It is the lion. It is Jesus coming and defeating sin and death as a lion and eating sin and death, consuming it and destroying it. There is, there is what we know in theological terms. There's the active obedience of Christ. That's his life lived even before the cross, his perfect obedience that he actively lived in our place. And in, on the cross, it's considered his passive obedience. When we just look and see what he's doing, it seems passive. He's hanging on the cross, he's dying but it's him receiving the wrath of God. But as he's receiving the wrath of God, he is actively defeating sin and death. He's devouring it up in our place. Two things that we cannot do and have a good victorious ending. We cannot receive the wrath of God ourselves and have a victorious ending. We cannot defeat sin and death and break free from the dominion of sin on our own and have victory. We can't do it. We need the cross of Christ. We need Jesus. I in no way want to take this moment and, and bring humor into this moment, but I know that, that, that many of our young people have grown up with the Lion King, and instead of tetelestai, the word is akuna matata. What a wonderful phrase. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem-free philosophy. Akuna Matata is garbage. It's garbage is what it is. Now I sing it, and I'll dance around the house. But that, that is not truth. That is not reality. I can't just say Akuna Matata, Akuna Matata. <laughs> okay, Akuna Matata. The wrath of God, dominion of sin, akuna matata. <laughs> no. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. It's not a problem-free philosophy. It is a free-me-from-my-problem reality. Tetelestai is Jesus saying, your problem is over. The debt has been paid. You have been set free. Tetelestai. The debt is paid. Let's look at this chart. I think this can help us to think about, to think about how, to, how to view sin right now. Because it's like, Mark, I'm a believer, but I still deal with sin. How does Tetelestai help me right now? So we're going to look at four slides here that, that help me. So we have life before the fall. We have Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the way that they could respond with God. They could walk with God. They could walk with life. This is, this is where they were when they were told to go and be fruitful and multiply and build cities and, and do amazing artwork and, and, and just build life, build kingdoms for God's glory. They were able to sin. They were able to say, ah, we ain't going to do that. And quickly we see that's what we did. But also, they were actually able to not sin. There in the garden, Adam and Eve were able to walk with Jesus, walk with God, and say, you know what? We're going to listen to you. We enjoy walking with you. We're going to trust you rather than the serpent. We're going to keep believing you. They were able to sin, and they were able to not sin. Let's go on to the next slide. 
after the fall, after sin, after saying, no, God, we spit in your face, as Chris was talking about last week, we don't want to follow you, we don't trust you, sin entered in. At that point, humanity is able to sin and unable to not sin. So we're able to sin. I can sin. But we're also unable to not sin. It sounds like double talk. We are, we are in bondage to sin. I hope you can see that. We are slaves to sin. And this is bad news. Let's go to the next slide. The reborn man, if you would, the Christian, the believer, those that have said, Jesus, thank you for that outward call. I've, I've heard the gospel message. Thank you for opening my eyes, my ears. Jesus, I love you. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. The reborn man, the reborn woman. As believers, we are able to sin. Every one of you that are here that are believers, you're like, yeah, I, I know that. We also know we're able to not sin. We're able to see and be tempted and say, no temptation has seized me beyond what is common to man. God will pro provide a way out. I can trust in Jesus. I can trust in God. And I can, I can say, Holy Spirit, help me to say no to sin for your glory, for my good, and the good of others. That's the reborn man. We are able to sin and able to not sin. And this is where we struggle. This is where we struggle because we, we want to only be able to not sin. And so sometimes we question the efficiency of the cross. Sometimes we, we question that it is finished because we see that, well, I'm still sinning. What's wrong? And we're going to get to that in a minute. Let's look to this last slide. The glorified man. When we see Jesus face to face, we are able to not sin and we're unable to sin. This is amazing. Basically, when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, the work that Jesus has finished for us, it's real for us. The wrath of God has been absorbed. We've been set free from the dominion of sin. But there's going to be a time when we see Jesus face to face in heaven where there's no longer any temptation. And we are completely seeing the reality of how we've been set free from sin. Without the work of Christ, without Jesus saying it is finished, there would be no hope. There would be no hope for us right now. There would be no hope for us in heaven. But what is not finished? Because I think that's sometimes the confusing point. But for us to understand what is not finished, we really have to grasp what is finished. What is finished is that Jesus has absorbed the wrath of God in your place. Believer, you will not experience hell. Eternity of receiving the wrath of God. What else is finished is the dominion of sin. It's power over you. It's authority over you. It's, a, it's finished. You, you don't have to obey sin. You don't have to say, ah, I just can't get out from under this. You trust by faith in Christ and say, help me. Help me to battle this. But the dominion of sin has been broken. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we have been made alive in God. So here's three things that aren't yet finished. Because we do live in a time of the already and the not yet. Christ has done a great work for us that is true for us right now. But there's certain things that we won't see until we see him face to face. And there's a work that still happens right now. So the it is finished and the work that still is being done, this is where many churches divide. This is why there's many denominations. This is why many Christians will call every single thing legalism 
and some people will call every other thing licentiousness. Oh, you're telling me to read my Bible? Legalist. Oh, uh, it's, it's, not, it's, it's okay for me to, to do whatever I want. I can just do whatever I want because Jesus died on the cross, so I can kill people if I want. That's extreme. It plays out, it plays out in more simple ways. But this is the battle we have, is reading the verses, reading the words of Jesus, reading the commands of Christ. Not even talking about just Old Testament commands. Talking about the commands of Jesus. Why would you have commands for us if it's done? It's because it is done. Because we go back to this original mandate. We go back to this beauty that Jesus is calling us into being culture makers. Go and build cities. Go and do things. Ultimately, at the heartbeat of it, is spread the gospel message. This message is going to be shared. It's going to be spread by you working and moving, having your being in Christ, but doing things as nurses, as school teachers, as students, as doctors, as lawyers, as janitors, fill in the blank, as moms, as dads, as sons, as daughters. You're doing these things, but all the while saying, Jesus, we want you to be high and lifted up. We want you to build your kingdom here. Jesus came here to rebuild his kingdom. And he calls us to be a part of his kingdom work. Here on earth, it's not, his, it's not called his kingdom rest. We call it his kingdom work. So three things that we're, we're, we're called to be a part of. One is the work of gospel transformation. The work of gospel transformation. Philippians 1.6 says this. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Here's Paul that understands justification by faith alone. But here he is saying, Jesus has begun a good work in you. Well, I thought Jesus said it was finished. Well, yes, it is finished. He's absorbed the wrath of God. He's broken, he's broken the chains of the dominion of sin. You are free and, and alive in God. But the work in you is not finished. Your foundation is done. Your security is in heaven. But God, while we're here and we're still alive, he's changing us to be more like his son. He's showing us the things of sin that he's wanting to continue to rip away from us. As he rips things away from us, he says, the consequences are done. But now when I remove that from you, you know the consequence is done. But when I remove these areas of temptation and sin from your life, you begin to feel the freedom of what I've given to you. There is freedom found in me, not just for salvation, but for life. He began a good work in you. He will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Christ work in us and through us, the gospel work of transformation. This is Christ's work still in us by faith and repentance. Number two, the work of gospel application. The work of gospel application. Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, against such things, there is no law. Before we were under the dominion of law, of the law, dominion of sin, and we weren't seeing any type, any type of true love, any type of true joy, any type of true peace. Now, if you, as a believer, look on the screen and you think about, you think about these fruits of the Spirit, you're most likely going to see something. You're going to say, I don't see, I don't see the work of the Spirit in me when it comes to fill in the blank. Don't be discouraged if you look up here, believer, and you think of this past week, and you see, I don't see anything. I don't see love in my life this week, joy in my life this week, peace in my week this, peace in my life this week. If you're a believer, the Spirit is at work in you to bring love in you, to bring the love that Jesus accomplished on the cross, to be able to give you his love, to give you his peace, to give you his kindness and along with Philippians 1.6, to transform you, 
So there's a work that the Holy Spirit is doing within you to help battle the opposite things of this. Because Jesus doesn't just want to save us. He wants to continually love on us and to help us. There is no law against these things. So that work is not finished. The work of the Holy Spirit in you, bringing you love, bringing you joy, joy, the next week not having love, then he brings love back to you. The work of the Holy Spirit is continually at work in us. Number three, a work that is not finished, the work of gospel proclamation. This work is not finished. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this work of gospel proclamation, it's not finished. There's a reason, there's a reason why we come to church. We come to church to hear, as believers, gospel proclamation. We want to continually hear that Jesus is the victor, that I am placing my faith, my hope, and everything in Jesus. But also we want to be reminded that this story, this story of victory, this cross, the crux of history, crux actually comes, the word crux in Latin means cross. The crux of history is the cross. The work of history is Jesus dying on the cross, saying it is finished, and for us being part of this proclamation to tell the whole world that Jesus can set us free from sin, its dominion, and death. This proclamation must go out. This work is not finished. There's a guy named Dawson Trotman. Uh, this story, it took place about 70 plus years ago. Dawson Trotman formed this ministry, a great ministry called the Navigators. But he had this certain, he had this certain desire. He, he made a commitment to himself and to the Lord. You don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. This was a personal conviction that he had. But he made this, he made this, this, this commitment to himself and to the Lord that he would not go to sleep until he told someone about Jesus. Again, you don't have to do that. But let me ask, what, what's, what are some of the thoughts that come up in your mind right away? It might be, oh, he must have been a legalist. Why would you insult your brother like that? Why, why do I insult my brother like that? Why, why, why is not my first thought? He understands that it's finished, and there's a lot of people in the world that don't know it yet. And man, I could tell somebody every day about Jesus, and I'm going to tell somebody every day about Jesus. So he wouldn't go to sleep until he told somebody about Jesus. So he's getting in the bed one night, and he's like, uh-oh, man, uh, sleepy. Didn't tell somebody about Jesus today. My buddies over here that aren't completely wrong, oh, it's grace, grace. My buddies over here and me often, it's like, you must get up, you must do this, you made a commitment. But I believe Dawson stood up and he said, Jesus, you are so worthy. It is finished. Although I'm tired, I don't want to do this. Your love compels me. Help me to do this. I'm tired. He gets up, gets out of his bed. He sees a guy that just missed his train. Getting on this train, this guy was getting on a train to try to go somewhere, missed this train, he's all distraught. Dawson's like, hey man, get, get in my car, I'll take you to where you're going. The guy gets in his car, the guy asks Dawson Trotman, say, hey, hey, hey man, where are you going? Dawson answers him, as far as you're going. That's creepy. That's creepy. And, and the guy writing this says, Dawson realized how creepy that was. 
He's like, hey, man, let me just go ahead and tell you, you know, I love Jesus. I follow God. I made this commitment with him that I wouldn't go to sleep until I told somebody about the good news of Jesus. So, man, you want to get to where you're going. I want to take you there, and I want to get in the bed. But this story, I really want you to hear about Jesus. I think Dawson Trotman woke up the next morning being okay with that type of commitment to seeing that the work of the gospel is not finished. As he got in the bed at 1, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, knowing that this guy had gave his life to Christ, it wasn't a motivation of, of just licentiousness. It wasn't a motivation of legalism. It was an understanding that the work is not finished yet, and I have the privilege to be a part of this. So he shares the good news with people. He was captivated by Christ. And I believe that is a testimony to a victory story. And those are the kind of victories that God is calling us to. He's calling us to victory moments of where we see that the work in us is not, is, is, is still being brought to completion through Christ Jesus. It's the work of the application of the gospel in our lives as we're beginning to see the work of the Spirit in us, changing us. But it's being part of the Great Commission also. Are you trying to write your own success story? Are you trying to have your own victory? If that's what you're trying to write, biblically speaking, it will not end well. It can't happen. You cannot write your own victory story because the problem of sin is bigger than your ingenuity your work, your strength, your smarts. You need Christ. You need to die. You need him to absorb your debt. So I would ask you, if you don't know Christ, to trust him in his finished work. Hear him cry out to die. Hear him cry out that it is finished. John 3, 16 says this, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you would, stand up with me. As we're closing out, believers, I want to I ask you a couple of questions. How are you seeing the gospel of Jesus transform you? Are you trusting in the finished work of Christ? Is the finished work of Christ your solid foundation? We do not work for our salvation. We don't. We strive to see, to see change in our lives through faith and repentance only because Jesus has finished the great work. We're called, we're called to be partakers of the Great Commission, to go out and share the good news of Jesus. What specific area of your life do you need help seeing that you are no longer under the dominion of sin? Let us rest in Jesus' work. But I have no problem saying, let us sweat. Let us work to get the good news out. This is not in conflict with the amazing truth of Tetelestai. Because it is finished, we are empowered to go out and to give our lives away. And as we do, we know all the while it's because of Jesus. And when we fell tremendously, we rest into Telestai. And we say, Jesus, keep working in spite of us. Let us see the privilege of being a part of the Great Commission. What do you want to see happen right here in Knoxville? What do you want to see happen with this great mandate of Jesus saying, be a part of kingdom building. But if you don't understand that Christ has finished the the problem, you, you will build a Tower of Babel. We will build a Tower of Babel for ourselves. But we want to see God build his kingdom here in Knoxville. We want to see lives changed. We want to see people freed from the wrath of God and sin's dominion. We want to sing songs praising Jesus for who he is and what he has done. In conclusion, let's, let's look at this. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's commands. Could my zeal no respite know 
Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you that you came into this world and you did what we could never do that ends in victory. Yes, we can receive the wrath of God, but only for eternity without zero victory. But Jesus, you came and upon the cross, you received and absorbed the wrath of God in our place. You were the Lamb of God and you absorbed the full force of God's anger towards sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that in our our place. And thank you, Jesus, that you broke the chains of sin and the dominion and power that sin has over us, the feeling of helplessness, that there's no way that we can come out up out under it because of your death, your life, death, and resurrection. You've broken the dominion of sin. And so now through your work and through your spirit and us being free, we can be changed. We can praise you and bring all glory to you and say it's because of the finished work of Christ that I can be changed. It's because of the finished work of Christ that I can see the Holy Spirit move in me and bring me the fruit of the Spirit for my good and the good of the city and the good of the world. And because of Jesus and to Tetelestai and the debt being paid, this message can go out into all the world. So Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for being the one who has done it and completed it. Something Adam couldn't do, Noah, Moses, King David, John the Baptist, that no one could do, only you, Jesus. You really really are our all in all, and you are our rock of ages. Thank you that you do not come to crush us, but you were crushed in our place. And by your wounds, we are healed. Let us rest in that freedom. We thank you, Jesus.